morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you are a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, um, we, we won't create all of that magic because we're limited in our capacity to take phone calls this morning. So we won't be taking phone calls um, as we talk about the role of the small town newspaper in Maine. And I'm so happy to have uh, Tom Groening, the editor of the Working Waterfront News. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Ron. And welcome back, I should say. We've had you on before. Um, Liz Graves is the editor of the Mount Desert Islander. Welcome, Liz. Hi, great to be here. And Becky Pritchard is the reporter, or one of the reporters for the Mount Desert Islander. Welcome to you, Becky. Thank you. We were hoping to have Laura Whalen, the assistant publisher, editor, and reporter of the Quaddy Tides, but again, because of our phone difficulties, we won't be able to feature her. But perhaps we can talk about the Quaddy Tides' contribution to the role of, of local journalism as we as we go. Perhaps each of you could um, um, do a little profile of, of uh, your in individual newspapers, how you got involved in those those publications. Start with you, Tom. Um, tell us a little bit about the Working Waterfront, which has an amazing circulation, you were saying. Yeah, it was uh, launched by the Island Institute, the nonprofit Island Institute, uh, which is based in Rockland, uh, in 1993. The Institute was started in 83. Uh, and kind of an interesting story as to why they started it. Uh, they were focused on, the organization was focused on islands at that time. And uh, Philip Conkling, one of the founders of the Institute, uh, he tells a story that uh, he was at a legislative hearing in Augusta and an issue that related to islands and a legislator on the other side of the desk kind of leans forward and says, you mean to tell me there's people living on them islands in the winter? <laughs> and literally people did not know that. So he, given that <laughs> now there are about 4,500 year-round island residents, not many people, not much political clout. So his idea was, and his phrase was, uh, islanders needed friends on the mainland. Mm -hmm. So he starts this paper looking that, that focused early on on common interest around working waterfront access, access for fishing and so on. And so it was, it was a quarterly. It's now 10 times a year. Uh, I've been there six and a half years, um, kind of a one-man band. Uh, we have a bunch of freelancers, really good freelancers, really good contributors. Um, it's sadly, it's kind of a buyer's market. There's a lot of unemployed and underemployed and kind of early retired people who want to keep their hand in. So I've got just excellent writers um, and photographers, really good photographers. So um, it's, been a, it's been a blast to, mm. to do this paper. And uh, I almost fell off my chair in the interview and they told me they printed 50,000 uh, which makes it one of the biggest papers in Maine. Now, it's a free paper and it's 10 times a year, but we reach people, we mail 20,000 to mailboxes. So people, as I say, they get it whether they want it or not. Um, we insert 8,500 in the Bangor Daily News for subscribers, uh, Belfast to Eastport, basically, and we insert 11,000 into the Press Herald uh, in Portland and in the bedroom community. So again, the idea is that subscribers to newspapers, people who are already reading newspapers, that, that vanishing breed, um, it's getting into their homes. Um, and every islander, every island box holder gets it. 
I think everyone on MDI is supposed to get it, although I've been hearing mixed reviews about that. Maybe you guys yeah, listen we'll to talk, yeah, <laughs> talk about that. But Great. it's getting out there. Um, we get feedback. People seem to like it. And Good. Yeah, it's fun. And I'll come back to um, more some of the, ask you about some of the stories. Um, Liz, tell us about the Islander. That's the newest paper on Mount Desert Island coming after a long string of history um, with previous papers. Right, right. So uh, we still often get calls in our in our office uh, asking if they if the caller has reached the Bar Harbor Times. The Bar Harbor Times had a long and august history. It uh, closed in 2010, I believe. The Islander was started in 2001 as sister paper to the Ellsworth American, which also has a very, very long, proud history. Um, so Earl Brecklin, our founding editor, and Alan Baker, publisher of The American, hatched this plan to, to start a, an, the paper in 2001. And so for, a, for several years there, we had two um, weeklies in Bar Harbor. And, and I think I was in competition certainly does, makes me do better work when we're, have other, we're a competitive media market, believe it or not, in rural <laughs> down East Maine, which I think is awesome. Um, so... The uh, part of Earl's idea, Earl and Allen's idea, was that uh, Mount Desert Island is not just Bar Harbor. Sure, it's the biggest town. It's uh, the biggest employers. Um, but there are four towns and a national park. And we uh, part of our circulation area is also Swans Island, Frenchboro, and the Cranberry Isles, and Trenton. Um, the poor folks in Trenton have uh, bounced back and forth a little bit between the Islander and the American as to which which newsroom is covering what's happening there. But we do. They are important. We love Trenton. So uh, that's the paper. We have an office in Bar Harbor. It's just us. We're a little outpost. Um, it's just reporters, one advertising person, one office person, and me. We have three full-time reporters. We also have uh, our sports person and our waterfront person share. We share with the Ellsworth American. Uh, so we're very small, and all of the back office stuff happens in Ellsworth. Um, and we have a really good time. So I've already talked for a while. I'll say I started at the Islander the same year Tom started at the Working Waterfront. I didn't know that. But oh. unlike Tom, I was super, super green. <laughs> it, was my, it was my very first journalism job. Uh, Earl hired me to be the sports and maritime reporter, which was super, super great reporter job because, for one thing, I met everyone on the island because I was at the sports games. Mm. And so I met the parents and grandparents and the kids and the coaches and it was it was great. Um, something else I'll say quickly before I hand it over is that last year, I, I think it was still last year, 2018, um, after it's our first 18 years as with Alan Baker as our publisher, and we actually still have him on our masthead as a little as a little nod. Mm. Um, our uh, Alan, when he retired, sold our company to Reed Brower, who's the owner of the Portland Press Herald, and. A, a big group of other newspapers in the state, and we've gotten a lot of questions about that um, in the last year. And the the headline is it's going well. Um, we it's there are there are benefits to us. We have we have lots more colleagues that we can bounce ideas off of when when that feels necessary. But you'll notice that we run our we still have our own paper. We're not full of stories from from elsewhere. And sometimes they'll run our stories. They ran Becky's story about someone a. Uh, school employee winning the lottery recently and um so it's a it's been a good it's been good and uh we're doing great and so so that's great like well maybe i'll ask that. each of you about your backgrounds and start with becky about how you got into journalism what what led you to to want to become a, a reporter well i was a student journalist um all through high school and college i wrote in the student papers and i also went to uh the salt institute which is a uh, very small school down in Portland, um, 
photographers and writers, and now um, people wanting to go into radio can also um, study study um, documentary style writing. Um, so after all that education, I kind of left writing aside for a long time. <laughs> I was a park ranger for a number of years. Um, I actually taught um, in the public school system for a little while as an ed tech and not a not a certified teacher. Um, but from that experience, eventually I ended up in newspaper again. So um, I've been writing for the Mount Desert Islander now. Um, I just finished my first year. Great. Tom, what was your background? What led you into journalism? Two names, George Reeve and Robert Redford. <laughs> George Reeve played uh, Superman, right, a.k.a. Right. Clark Kent. That's right, and the old reporter. 50s right. TV show yeah. that used to show in repeats. He was cool. I wanted to be him. <laughs> and then when I was in high school, um, I saw All the President's Men and then later read it, and like a gazillion other people wanted to topple a corrupt president. So sure. I was on board for uh -huh. being a journalist. Uh -huh. And your career took you to the Bangor Daily News, the Belfast Papers? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, when I got to uh, college, Stonybrook University in New York, they did not have a journalism major. They had killed it. And the scuttlebutt was that the market was flooded actually because of Watergate was what we were told. I don't know if that's true, but there were so many people who wanted to go into journalism. So I ended up majoring English um, and kind of bounced around from education, social service, and then had the opportunity to work at the Republican Journal in Belfast. Um, I was there as editor and reporter for about 11 years and then moved to the Bangor Daily as a general assignment reporter. And toward the end of my 14 years there, um, about four and a half years, I was an editorial writer which was great fun and interesting, mm. different, a very different side of things, mm. writing opinion, uh, and then left there in 2013 to go to the Island Institute. Mm. And Liz, what was your background? What led you into to doing that reporting with, with an interesting mix of, of sports yeah. and, and waterfront issues? I, I, yeah, we were telling, started to tell a piece of this story earlier this morning. Um, when I moved to Maine in 2010, I was working in a boatyard, um, varnishing, which I really love doing, and I still do a little bit because it's very relaxing to me. I hear Darren Collins at the college has the same thing. Something about sanding is very, very calming. Um, so, uh, but I have a degree um, in in math and geology from from Vassar College in upstate New York. Didn't do any journalism. Uh, did a lot of writing because it's a liberal arts school, uh, and I loved to write. Uh, hadn't written anything. It remotely like a news story. And then in uh, 2012 was an election year, and I was pondering what I might want to do next after boatyards, and I started seeing campaign signs up and down Route 3. I was driving a lot. I was working for Morris Yachts, and I was did, did some delivering things around between their locations. And I thought, gosh, all these names of folks who were going to Augusta, we know a little bit about the federal politicians, but I didn't follow the news carefully. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if these representatives that are going to Augusta that if people knew more about what they were doing once they got there. Mm. What can I do to make that happen? And, of course, there, already, there was lots of good reporting. I just wasn't reading it about <laughs> what they were doing. But that was what I got inspired. I thought it would be nice to be more connected between election cycles on uh, what the government's doing. So I reached out to Jill Goldthwaite, and I said, how does one learn about this? And she introduced me to uh, John Christie and Naomi Stalhut, who at the time were running the main Center for Public Interest Reporting, and to Earl. And... Uh, then Earl said, "Here, sure. Why don't why don't you? We've set up an internship for you." And I wrote my very first story was about um, Earl had run into John Carter, who's a lobsterman in Bar Harbor, at uh, Jordan's um, Diner uh, in Bar Harbor, and 
John told Earl that he said, I think seals are getting into my lobster traps. I really think there are seals stealing my lobster. So Earl said, why don't you find out whether that's possible for a, steal, a seal to get into a lobster trap? And that was, that was my first story in the spring of 2013. And did they? Well, what... <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Well, I mean, I got really stuck on the fact that they can't use their flippers because, you know, they're opposable thumbs. But uh, Rosie Seaton at uh, Allied Whale said, well, a a seal can get into anything a dog can get into, so they might be able to theoretically use their teeth to pull on the sort of bungee cord thing. So so it's inconclusive, unfortunately. Sorry. Well, maybe we could start by talking about what makes a story. Uh, maybe you could talk about some recent stories that that uh, you were really excited about, something that's been on the front page or something that that and, and that that really tells a reader oh, this is important. Becky, what's a what's a story that you'd like to kind of cite for our listeners this morning? Um. Or, or Liz, Liz, you got, you got something ready? Yeah. So. This is Becky again. Yeah, this is Becky. Um, One story that we have on our front page this week is, um, I don't know if I'd call it exciting necessarily. Could could be to some people. Yes. It's very important to our community. Um, We recently, in Bar Harbor, um, hired a new person to work solely on vacation rentals. And this is in the town, um, town office. And vacation rentals is a big issue that we've been following a lot because it um, a lot of people are interested. People either have vacation rentals or they um, have neighbors with vacation rentals. You know, they, they see this going on in their neighborhoods and um, and how the town deals with that says, you know, it, it's, it's really important to people personally, but it's also just important to see how towns balance tourism with people living there. So it's a story that we've been following again and again. Um, and this week's this week's focus was just that the town um, hired a brand new full time person to work on vacation rentals. Mm. So it's an of issue interest to um, people because many people are using vacation rentals to pay their taxes. It's also of interest because hotels and others are saying, you know, you're taking business away from me. So there's lots of interest in this story and the town's um, kind of looking looking to how do we manage this? How do we manage this? Yeah, and, and some landowners are, uh, for understandably, given the economic incentives, have, have switched um, what had been year-round rentals for folks working, um, living and working on the island to vacation rentals because it's because it uh, make a lot more money that way and right. pay off your mortgage or whatever it is. And, and that impacts affordable right. housing, sure. Tom, what's a story from the working waterfront? Our most recent issue, the August issue, I'm looking at the front page here. Um, uh, I covered uh, a conference that they have um, every other year. New Hampshire and Maine uh, coastal people put on this conference called the Beaches Conference, and it was down in Kittery. And uh, the headline is Beaches are soft front line in climate war. And the kind of the theme of the conference was manage retreat from sea level rise and um, beach erosion and all these sorts of things. And uh, we cover a lot of environmental stories. Uh, obviously, my bailiwick is, is the eight coastal counties. That's my beat. Um, and so obviously, uh, they are going to be the the front line in, in sea level rise and other climate uh, change impacts. Another one, another quick one I'll mention is from a couple issues ago is um, I did a feature story about uh, profile of this guy, Nat Wilds, who works for this organization called Live and Work in Maine. 
he's a young guy, um, and obviously Maine with its oldest in the nation, median age, and uh, uh, stagnant population, we need young people to move here. And so this organization has this cool website where they match um, recreational assets you know, and jobs. So if, if there's a job listed, it'll show a map and say, you can also snowboard easily mm. from here. It's a 45 mm. minute drive to a mountain. Um, so that's something to look that's at. Awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's. I try to feature you know younger people and what they're doing and and um, you know the issues that may not. It started out very fishing heavy, but I kind of moved it away from that. And you know I, I kind of the guiding guiding principle for me is why do we live here? What makes it great? We we all we choose to live here on the coast. We're not refugees who just got stuck here. I don't think mm. um, we love it here. And so what are the elements that make it livable? That make it vibrant and are they threatened you know what what assets are, are in place and, and what are being threatened and you know what what new what what we have challenges obviously like population what's being done so that's mm -hmm. kind of drives drives my interest i'll just remind listeners they're tuned to talk of the towns this morning um we don't have the access to our phone line so there's no uh, phone phone connection this morning but if you have a question for our guests here in the studio you could email us at news at weru.org. And our guests in the studio are Tom Groening, the editor of the Working Waterfront News, Liz Graves, the editor of the Mount Desert Islander, and Becky Pritchard is a reporter for the Mount Desert Islander. Um, so we've talked about some of the stories, and again, I'm so sorry that we can't have uh, Laura Whalen with us from the Quanti Tides, but just a, an example of their latest publication. Um, they've got a story on, on their front page on rock quarry expansion issues, um, a nursing contract at the local um, hospital in uh, Machias, fishermen um, face bait crisis by Ed French, who's um, the co-editor there, um, and a fundraiser play, planned in Eastport to help aid asylum seekers. Pretty broad range of, of topics, and, and I cite the Islander, I mean, the I cite the Islander too, but the Quaddy Tides as one of those papers that does such a good job for its community. Um, and each, you know, some of you have had connections with that, uh, with that newspaper. Tom, any reflection on what the, um, the Quaddy Tides does for its, its readers and its community? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, a friend of mine who's also a writer uh, thinks the Quaddy Tides is reminiscent of the book The Shipping News, mm -hmm. um, the, the paper that he goes to work on in Newfoundland. Uh, it's the Gammy Bird. It's very much like that. It covers the shipping news. It's got a gritty quality to it. Um, I interviewed Edward a few years ago to do a feature story about the paper and uh, shared it with the Bangor Daily News and it got, it got good traction. Um, it, it's such an interesting place. It covers uh, two countries. I mean, they don't acknowledge the, the border really because the water is the sort of the center of the, the, the spinal yeah. cord of, right, that, the of that region. The, the story at the bottom of the page I didn't reference was generator still providing power to islands and the generator is on Grand Manan and Campobello. Right. Um, it, it's fishing oriented. Um, Edward signs his editorials. He puts his name at the bottom and he feels that that's the right thing to do, not hide behind the editorial we. Uh, he feels that the newspaper should be a leader in the community, which, and we can talk about this, this is always an interesting topic, is what is community journalism? How is it different from TV or, or daily newspapers? Uh, and I, I tend to agree with him. I mean, he's, he lives there. He, you know, he talks, he says, it's a good day if I walk home and people don't switch to the other sidewalk on the other side of the street. And I think we all know what that's like, having worked in, in, in community journalism. Um, that's what it's about. He cares about that community. He lives there. 
uh, and Laura uh, does an excellent job with him, and it's it's just a great paper. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I was uh, honored to have spoken a year ago at the 50th anniversary, and uh, Alan Baker uh, also was invited, and I was chatting He's with him. He's a big him. fan of, of yes. the paper, too. And he, you know, before he says, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't, I don't know why they asked me. He gets up there. And he just kills it. I mean, he, he talks about Winnie French, who was the founder, Edward's mother, a late Wait, mother. Wait, one connection is that we printed the Quaddy Tides at the Ellsworth American for many years, so that was part of how they got to know each other, yeah. And Alan talked about um, how Winnie would go into stores and deliver the paper and say, the tide's in and the dirt is out. That's right. And then Alan ends his little thing with saying, and by the way, Winnie has been inducted posthumously into the Maine Press Association Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Place goes nuts, and I have to follow him. <laughs> so that, um, can that, I add, yeah, add, please, add, add, too? add to that? Just, just briefly, it occurred to me um, that and we're looking at front pages, and that I, I think it's interesting that the role of a paper like theirs and ours is to be a leader in the community and be... And be um, connected to the, the conversation the community is having with itself and also represent the community outside. So I think that the bait story, and as you all can't see it, but there's a wonderful picture of herring um, that's going to be used for bait on the front page, and that's a great example of that is, that is one of eSports things right now, and it's a hugely important statewide and beyond mm-hmm. story with um, herrings used for lobster bait. So, so Liz, you, you walk the streets of Bar Harbor up and down um, in your job. Um, you, you catch people by unawares to ask them the question of the week. Oh, yes, I've caught you on yes. the way. <laughs> but but t- talk a little bit about the role of the, the newspaper and the editor. What kind of feedback? Do you, do you get people crossing the street like um, Ed French talked about? Or um, do people come up to you and say, um, I, I read that story in the Islander? Yeah, yeah, both. I certainly, um, we talked about this a little bit before we went on the air, too, is that I am always so grateful, even if it, you know, isn't the most fun to hear when somebody thinks we got something wrong or are concerned about, about the tack we took with something. That is so much better than writing us off and deciding they're not going to read the Islander anymore or we're, and it's, it's, it's just a productive conversation, and I'm grateful that that happens a lot. People do come in to talk to all of us. <clears throat> um, and write to say what they what they were interested in or what they are concerned about, um, and it's just a really really rich um, place to be. It's, mm. it's yeah, we feel like we're we're in a garden. That it's um, so this role of the the community newspaper and each of you probably have different perspectives on that. Um, Becky, as a reporter, um, how do you see the role of the Islander in the life of the island? Well, we definitely get out information, um, and and we also sort of analyze things. I mean, we explain what's going on because before I worked for the paper, um, like like Liz was saying, I, I wasn't always keeping up on what was going on. But now, we're um, we're in this role of just explaining. We go to the meetings and and we hear, you know, all the all the arguments on each side, and and we we try to um, summarize that so that so that people can see that um, and make up their own minds about what's going on. Um, and I also see it as um, as Liz was just saying, as a place people can write in and sound off about what's going on. So it, 
um, it plays a lot of roles, I think, mm. just getting people talking. Tom, you probably don't walk the streets of all of the coastal towns that you, you encounter, but people do read and write back. Um, how do you get the feedback, and what, what do you sense your, your role is as a, as a regional newspaper? It took me a while to figure that out, having been in the weekly news biz and then in the daily. It's like, how do you cover the entire coast of Maine mm. in this little paper? Um, so my challenge is to try to cover things that someone, you know, something in Portland that someone in Eastport might find interesting and yeah. vice versa. And it's hard. Um, but we get we get really good feedback. And, and I'm pleased to no longer cover crime and mill closings, all these kind of bleak things. As I said earlier, it's it's a great place to live. And, I, and years ago, I remember there was a banker uh, in Belfast, and there were two papers in Belfast at the time, and the other paper um, tended to get a lot of the controversy in City Hall on the front page. And this banker told me that uh, he called the editor of the other paper, said, do you like living here? And the editor said, of course I do. I, you know, I'm making sacrifices from my career. I'm not making as much money as I might make elsewhere and so on. And he said, that's not reflective in your paper. And I've always took that, I've mm. taken that to heart over the years that the paper, whether, whatever, we should, it should reflect a, a joy, a, a you know, uh, being happy to live here and being grateful to live here. And so I think being free of the uh, the crime of my daily... I'll never forget the story that one, that was a big hit online. The Bangor Daily News was naked man on bath salts threatens to jump off railroad bridge. That was like the big hit. And it's like that, you know, and, and th that's their, that's their, you know, their beat. And they do a good job with it. And I... You're glad not to be doing that. I'm glad not to be. I'm, and that was the measure of, of success. It's interesting, Google Analytics, do you guys use that at all? A little bit, yeah. It's a way of measuring how many people read different stories. And I was very embarrassed and chagrined to learn that readers don't read those long, long city council meeting stories Google Analytics has shown. And I can't tell you how many 800, 900 word city council meeting stories <laughs> I've written. And you wonder you know, how many people actually read them. But, uh, but we know in Bar Harbor that that's not the case. People do read those stories because that's what they, yeah. the newspaper, the, the editor, letters to the editor are full of. Oh. So they know that Becky's been to that meeting. Yeah. Well, how do you decide uh, can I, to... Can I get yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Thank you. I have a whole bunch of thoughts that Tom, Tom made me think of. Mm. This is great. One of them is that, um, so Earl, my predecessor, is a masterful, as everyone knows, uh, front page designer. And, and his front pages are a big part of the reason we won so many awards is that they were Awesome. And both he and Stephen Fay, who just retired from the Ellsworth American, uh, were great at what Stephen called providing a balanced diet on the front page, to, to your point about um, we do love to live here and we have this really incredible place that we live. So in, in the summer especially, Earl would try to have um, a picture on the front page above the fold, often reflective of how wonderful it is to be on MDI in the summer. Um, and the, so the balanced diet, of course, there are things that are, that are Im more important but less interesting. There's this scale that someone mm -hmm. at a conference recently uh, showed me, and I, and I use all the time now. The, you, the topics that you cover, you plot them on this scale of one axis is interesting and one axis is important, and there are things that are both. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that are really important and less interesting, and you have to figure out a way to make them interesting. I always joke that I'm... As, a, as an editor and a reporter, sort of the opposite of an ambulance chaser like Tom, I'd much rather write about zoning than about crime. Um, and it is, we really need, in our paper, we do need to have both. And mm -hmm. we, of course, need to do it respectfully and sensitively. Um, often, you know, Bar Harbor uh, had this experience last year of, of a, uh, a, murder, a murder and a murder trial. And sure. we're small communities, so both 
the alleged murderer and the victim are members of our community, and they both have families. And I said in an editorial, when it first happened, they both have rights. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's 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 a privilege, and it's a big responsibility, of course. What's the uh, the average flow of a week for a weekly paper? Um, what, Becky, how do you get started? And um, Friday is generally a down day, but you're 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 under a deadline for what late Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Yeah. yeah. What's what's your typical week? And then we'll find out from the editor what's her typical week because it's probably different than a straight yeah. reporter. So Becky, what's your week like? Um, so my week begins on Thursday the day the paper comes out. Mm. That's what I consider sort of my Monday. It's just getting going. Um, so the paper comes out. We figure out what stories we're going to do the following week. We have an editorial meeting where we all talk about story ideas. And um, it's it's a really nice day. It's very low-key. Um, Thursday and Friday are both good days to get interviews in, um, do research, and pretty much just organize your story list and, and figure out what you're doing. Um, research is, is a really big, important part of what journalists do. We, we do research our stories as much as possible and probably just put in a small amount of everything that we figure out. We try to mm. <laughs> compile it. Can I brag on Becky with a good example of that from sure. this week? She covered a meeting on Tuesday night, um, and there were some emails that had been exchanged between the town council and the planning board that um, came in too late to be included in the published packet for the, t- for the town council meeting. So people in the audience didn't hadn't read these emails and they didn't have access to them yet. Uh, and Becky could tell they were really important to telling the story well. So Wednesday morning, she went, she went and asked the town manager for copies of those emails, and now they're in the paper, and everyone, everyone sees what's got going the better, on. right? Yeah. The, got the background and yeah, the well research. Done. Good, good. So, um, what's it like for you? Um, are you, are you, 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 you any more about oh, the research? Yeah, so, and then? yeah, so research. Um, you know, Thursday, Friday, okay. Monday. Um, when I really start writing in earnest, it's usually around um, Monday afternoon, Tuesday, and then deadline day is Wednesday. Okay. Um, and then there are meetings to go to any day of the week whenever they happen. So In the community, you mean? Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. So you're covering beats, basically, in mm-hmm. that. Um, so, Liz, what's it like for you? You're the editor. Um, how different is your week? Well, I, uh, I always think of a joke Pat Keller, who, who's the uh, Department of Marine Resources Commissioner, makes when I... When I uh, took over from Earl almost two years ago, which is that I'm driving a desk around. <laughs> That's how I feel. I really loved, you know, I was, I got a lot more exercise when I was walking to the police station and, and uh, walking around to get, um, anyway, I was, I was out and about more and I'm out and about less. Uh, I certainly do still, uh, it is important to me to, to go connect with people. And I've, the thing I've learned about writing editorials is it makes a big difference if you have actually had some substantive conversations with people who know about the issue before you attempt to write an editorial. It turns right. out that helps a lot. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I'm, I am in my office a lot. Folks are really always welcome to come visit, especially if it's not a Wednesday, because as, as Becky said, Thursday and Friday, but I love, we love talking to folks. Uh, I, on Mondays, I uh, put the art section together. So um, folks may know, we have a lot of arts organizations and there's a lot of activities going on in MDI. And so all year round, but especially in the summer, uh, I'm just a curator of, um, luckily those organizations are super generous in um, sending us press releases. We have like, the Jessup Library and the Southwest Harbor Library and the other two, uh, Bass Harbor and Northeast, send us press releases every week because they all have talks every week. That's mm. one of the many reasons it's so awesome to live here is you can, we have experts on everything under the sun and, and 
people who are extremely knowledgeable about interesting topics coming to give talks mm. year-round. So that's a lot of my Monday is uh, is uh, curating which which talks this week. If there's something coming up at the college next week, talk, someone talking about does Hamilton the musical get Hamilton the guy right? Uh, so that's in that's in this week's paper. So Monday is that. Monday is uh, usually we have one or two staff written art stories, and the rest is. Um, these wonderful press releases. Thank you. Thank you, people who send press releases. Uh, and our calendar of events and our uh, our offshore islands still have local columnists, and so those come in on Monday. And when I get going on um, the uh, in the summer, the sports section is in Section 2. In the school year, it goes into Section 1, so we can get in more games that happen mm-hmm. late in the day. Um, so there's the sports section, the opinion pages, uh, so we're moving forward in the week. Uh, Tuesday is finishing sports, finishing opinion, and uh, getting going on maritime, which in the summer there's a whole lot of sailing events, so that comes up into Section 1. Uh, and Tuesday is starting to think about what's going where on the front page and in the front section. Wednesday morning, it all, it, it all the rest of it goes together. So the, some news stories are already in. The reporters file their last stories. We decide, I decide what's going on the front page. What else is going elsewhere? It's a little exciting with obituaries, which are a big part of, of what we do. And uh, the obituary deadline is not until noon on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So there's always a last-minute shuffle. We don't know how long the police reports are going to be. Uh, the um, reporters all contribute to the police reports from the towns that they cover. Um, those come in Tuesdays. Obituaries come in, and so there's always a little dance to mm-hmm. see uh, mm-hmm. what's going to fit where. And, and Tom, you have a little more leisurely pace, but you go through the same process. Sure, yeah, I, you know, I roll in 11, 11, 15, <laughs> read the daily newspapers, and then it's time well, for lunch. I didn't lunch. mean that. <laughs> in terms of the you, 10 times a year, yeah. you, you have a little more leisure in terms of putting the paper together. It, it, it's actually been hard to get used to. After, I mean, the daily newspaper business is kind of cool. Is you pretty much write a story a day or mm-hmm. two stories. Maybe a story carries over for a day or two, and it's in your notebook, and then you sort of clean the decks and you start fresh. And I like that rhythm. And then the weekly rhythm, I'm very familiar with what you talk about, Liz, and you do, you are chained to the desk, um, and that's got its own rhythm. But this this monthly 10 times a year thing is different. Um, I think of it more as a magazine. And in fact, mm. uh, I'm contemplating um, trying to move it out of newsprint because I find mm. anecdotally that people under 40 don't pick up newsprint. They just mm. don't like it. It's, Dirty, leaves stains, and so I'm looking at other printing options. Where, where um, is the working waterfront printing these days? Uh, in South Portland, uh, Reed Browers. We were at the Alliance Press in Brunswick, and they okay. consolidated down there. Is that where you guys are now? No, no, no. We're still printing ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the American is printing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Same. Same company. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different place. Um, it, it is a different. I, I try to look at it. I, I mean, it's hard to break news. Like um, there was an announcement yesterday that Senator Collins put out that Casco Bay Lines got several million dollars to upgrade the terminal. And I had actually done a story in our last issue about Casco Bay Lines and, and their plans. But I could put it in this paper that gets printed next week. But I think everyone will have seen it. All the dailies will have covered it. TV will have covered it. So it, it's sort of a magazine format, I think. And I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm still trying to figure it out as mm. to what goes in and what doesn't. Um, well, but, let's, let's, go ahead. And you were saying earlier that having a little more time leaves time to reflect, too. So you're not likely going to break the news, but there might be an angle on that or some thoughts about that that you'll have time to, to get to. Absolutely, yeah. We did a story that I was really pleased with. Uh, Edgar Allan Beam, who was 
with the, with the Maine Times for years, one of the best journalist in Maine, in my opinion. Um, I asked him several months ago to write a story, kind of a catch-all story about the fights over working waterfront access in Portland. Oh, cool. Remember, there was all the pushback from people saying that the fishermen were being squeezed out by restaurant and, and hotel development plans, and in Booth Bay Harbor, where Paul Kalum, the vodka king, um, wanted to rezone the east side of the harbor. And, and this kept dribbling out in the daily newspapers and somewhat TV and incremental. And I asked him to kind of do a, let's take a big step back. And, and Ed has covered this stuff for 40 years. Um, he, he, those of you who remember the Maine Times from the late 60s, 70s, I, I moved to Maine in 83, but I, I you know, immediately started The legend reading. was there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I learned so much about Maine from reading it in its glory days. And, and anyway, so he was the guy to do it for me. And um, yeah, that was the kind of reflective piece that I thought we did well, that he did well. What are some of the challenges that you face as um, relatively small newspapers? Um, let's start with Liz. What, what are some of the challenges that you see in some of your colleagues who um, are producing weekly papers? What are some of the challenges? Well, the one that's in the top of my brain is, is a little bit connected to what Thomas was talking about, which is that we have to remind ourselves to explain, uh, to step back far enough so that if someone is just joining us with the conversation about vacation rentals in Bar Harbor or vacation about uh, how uh, it's hard for members of the planning board in Tremont to get to all of the meetings, that they know what we're talking about. So we have, we have to tell enough of the stepping back to, to get the, mm. c catch the reader up and, and go forward together. It's always interesting to me when one of the dailies or you guys uh, the Working Waterfront write a, f a bigger story about, say, cruise ships in Bar Harbor or um, something that's happening because it's, it's very different from our dribbling out. Hopefully it's, it's relatively intelligible dribbling out, but it is a very different mm. uh, way to tell the story. Gosh, what are our challenges? I'm well, I'm, I'm thinking think about, about that one. Um, uh, circulation, readership. Right. Um, the f the oh. folks that po folks don't pick up a yeah. newspaper as often as they yeah. used to. Um, those trends are certainly facing all of you. Yeah. So here's part of how I think about it. We uh, were really, really, really lucky um, in having our having loyal print subscribers. I don't. I think we're going to have a print product for a long time to come. And in fact, we're such in such a strange demographic position or whatever it is that <clears throat> while it's true that we look at our Google Analytics a little bit, I often remember as I'm putting together the paper that likely more people, many more people will read it in print than will read it online, which is which is totally bonkers in most other news organizations. Same with us, um, yeah. The, it is the a, it's a reversal of the... Can I just jump in? Yeah. Um, remember 10, 12 years ago... Uh, pundits in the publishing and the newspaper industry said local newspapers were poised for success, yeah. where daily newspapers uh, were not. And I don't know if that's still true. I know daily newspapers, when I was at the Bangor Daily, they consciously moved away from national and international stories mm -hmm. on the front page. And it was, it was funny. I mean, I would get it, and you'd read about something that had happened, a uh, terrorism act or something, and it's like, do I have the right paper? Because I'd heard it on yeah. the radio. Right. 15, 16 hours earlier. Right. So they go local, 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 and, and it works. And I think like a paper like yours, um, who else is going to cover that stuff? Right. You know, and, and, you know, it's a lively community. It's a community that people um, 
people who don't live there year round are connected to also. Yeah. And so they're reading from a way they probably have subscriptions. I remember uh, Edward French telling me that the Quality Tides had subscribers in all 50 states. Yeah. He thought, maybe not South Dakota, but I think, which is incredible. Because <laughs> well, darn, he, he took my line because that's true for us too. And I was oh, going to say. I bet it is. Yeah. And the U.S. Virgin Islands and... Yeah. yeah. So, so the challenges that were forecast um, that people were only going to go online to get their news, nobody else covers the local mm -hmm. news. So that's right. one of the ways that you're meeting right. that challenge. But you are using technology differently. Mm -hmm. So how are you using technology? Well, I would say to, about circulation, too, it's one um, big, of course, continuing to, to sell print subscriptions and print copies is important. And also, we have to it, – it's another thing that is not – super fun is to remind people who ask why they have to pay to read our stories online when they read, when they do read our stories right. online. Um, and so I, I told someone on, online last week that we, we really like to be able to give this reporter a paycheck now and then. Uh, and this is how, this is how that works. So yeah. it, and I, it's, it's understandable. There's a lot available for free online. Of course, if you get something for free online, it's likely that you're the product. Um, but that's a it's an ongoing it's 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 hard to ask for money it's not fun to ask for money but um we we are we do are behind a paywall so that's uh, I, I wish we could all go back to 1996 and put paywalls in then i mean that was a mistake i'll never forget i was at the maine press association annual conference in bar harbor and i was still with the republican journal and joe brooks who was with the banger daily said they were talking about the internet. He said, we don't know what it is, but we know we have to be there. Yeah. Uh, and that was the level of understanding of yeah. it is that you had to have a presence. And then I remember editors in Bangor saying, we don't want to scoop ourselves. So they would post the mm -hmm. stories for that day's paper at 6.30 when, in theory, all the papers had been delivered for the day. And, and I mean, that, that eroded pretty quickly. But, um, you know, the New York Times has a paywall, Washington Post, the New Yorker. I mean, it's free. Some of them are hard. The Wall Street Journal has a paywall, which there's zero free. You can't get to any of the Wall Street Journal yeah. unless you're a subscriber. And, and I think people are getting it. I think, you know, I, I, I'm not access to their numbers, but I, I think it's it's working. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the ad thing, I mean, initially there was thought that you could make money with the ads that accompanied the stories. But now everyone reads on their phones, so the ad is about the size of a postage stamp. If that. Purely theoretical particle, as our colleague Dick Broom would say. <laughs> <laughs> You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're having a conversation with uh, folks about the the role of uh, small-town newspapers, and in the case of the Working Waterfront News, um, a, a kind of a regional uh, paper. Um, have Tom Groning, the editor of that uh, publication, Liz Graves, the editor of the Mountain Desert Islander, and Becky Pritchard, reporter for the Mountain Desert Islander. So you're each a, you have a business model. Um, Tom, you're not a, uh, in, the, in the same way that that Liz is a business, but Thank you, God. you've got you've got a business model, and and your your um, the Island um, Institute has to have advertising. You, you, so talk talk about the business of of producing a, a paper. We do sell a fair amount of ads, and and the people there's a, a gentleman who sells ads on a kind of a freelance basis for us who does a very good job. He's very well known in the mid coast area. He used to sell for Down East Magazine. And what we hear from advertisers is that, yes, we're reaching 50,000 people. And I make the point that it's getting into people's homes. It's not just sitting yellowing on a diner window. Um, but a lot of the advertisers say we like supporting this nonprofit because mm -hmm. they do good work, which is – that's kind of cool. I mean we do not sell enough ads to cover all costs. Um, we are a nonprofit uh, and we are donor and member and uh, foundation-driven, grant-driven. Um, so there's a sugar – Daddy or mommy out there that wants to underwrite. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I, and I, I've I've looked at doing sponsored content 
which is that phrase means different things to different people. But to me, I, I do probably four or five stories a year about the shipping industry, which is something that a lot of people don't understand. I don't mm-hmm. know a lot about it. Yeah. I've done stories about the tugboats in Belfast, about Mac Point, the Searsport P, uh, port, Portland port, um, Eastport. And, and you see these, you know, 650 ship, uh, foot ships passing by. What, what are they hauling? Where is mm-hmm. it going? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would gladly approach the American Bureau of Shipping, which is this multi-billion dollar, well, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, say, just give us money and we'll put a little thing at the bottom as the NPR model coverage of China is supported by a grant from mm-hmm. no control over content. They mm-hmm. will not see the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't succeeded in getting this underwriting yet, but I think it's viable um, to have someone say, this is important. What yeah, we want people yeah. to understand how it works. Right. So when they remember in, in Searsport several years ago, they wanted to put the big propane tank there and the big protests and people, the company withdrew. People don't understand. And everyone got in their cars and turned on the engine and the gas flowed that was in the tanks. And they went home and turned up their furnaces that had <laughs> propane gas that would have been stored there. And anyway, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> so, Liz, what's the, what's the business model for the yeah. Visit Islander? So the, uh, the Islander is one of... Or I think um, business units in our in our company. That's the Ellsworth American, um, and for for the Islander, we have advertising income and and circulation income. So that's subscriptions and newsstand sales. The other business units, just to, for anyone keeping track, there's the Ellsworth American. There's our digital marketing agency, Reach Main Marketing, and our printing. Um, Operation. We do 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 some commercial printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we print, for example, the Maine campus, the, the student mm-hmm. newspaper for the University of Maine. Um, so it's interesting to think about. Um, coming up, when I started, I was taught about a firewall between advertising and editorial, which is as it should be. Like Tom said, we don't have uh, just because a, a local business is an advertiser doesn't mean we're gonna not run a story if there's an important story. Um, that it might be critical. That might be critical, or or or, or just yeah. If they we we don't hide news. We don't make anyone look bad for fun. But if someone does something that the community needs to know about, we need we're, we're going to make that. Mm. We're going to do that. So yeah, it's always it's always a dance. But no, there's no there's certainly no quid pro quo. Um, we give uh, something we talk about a lot this time of year because new businesses open this time of year. Is most of the time when there's a new business on the island, we try to do a, a story or at least a mention in a in a big story because there's mm-hmm. there's dozens in Bar Harbor, so we can't do dozens of stories, but we'll do a, a new business roundup. Um, so that is, you could argue, a free ad, but that's just we try to be consistent, and that's what. Um, another thing I think about that we really do work together with advertisers um, in other ways. One that one thinks one of my favorites is. Uh, as you all know, high school basketball is sort of a civil religion in, in this neck of the woods. So when our team, um, we're privileged that we're just the island, so we have just the one high school so we can be as parochial as we want. Uh, uh, when we went to get really far in the tournaments in basketball or football, we'll have a whole big poster that's in the middle of the paper that advertisers help us. We, we sell enough advertising on the back of it to make this possible. And so all the, all the other students who go down to the game will hold up their Trojan Strong poster and that's something the Islander gets to be part of. So mm. that's pretty cool. Mm. It's there, there are there um there's synthesis even if we do it we are very careful about making sure advertisers aren't telling us what to print and not to print. Mm. So there's the business side, the reporting side and the editorial side. Maybe just describe those for listeners. Oh who who does what? Yeah, and and, ha- and how you keep those things separate. 
Right. So there are uh, our circulation department is one uh, extremely skilled person who's been at it for a long time. Her name is Deborah Tucker. So she's in charge of both uh, of of print subscriptions, digital subscriptions, newsstands. So she hires the part time drivers who who get the Islander um, to all the stores where it. Uh, is available, and she also coordinates the newspapers and education program, which we were talking about on the way here, which is a cool way. It's another way we work with, they're not advertisers, in this case they're sponsors, but business local businesses will be able to sponsor a couple of subscriptions so that Ron can have a couple of copies of the Islander in his, it's a community development. 18 copies. 18 copies. Because the there's Islander 18 students or whatever. In a student, at, in a class at College of the Atlantic, so right. that's a... Um, Really That's been helpful, and and I think again, uh, Tom, to your point, I'm trying to introduce students to um, print news and get them to, to look at this as a as a magical source of what their community is all about. And they can't get that online. I'm sorry, they cannot get it. Yeah. What's the, the the full picture that the Islander does or that your paper does? Right, and I think somebody pointed this out. This is not my observation, but that. There's something uh, – there's the serendipity nature of flipping through a yeah. newspaper and like, yep. oh, wow, I, I, you would not have thought that story out online, but there it is in front of you. Oh, that's my neighbor who just mm-hmm. opened that coffee mm-hmm. shop. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I didn't know that. That's what right. she's doing now. Right. And, and that's that, my friend's kid who is athlete of the week. That's a big right. – yep. yeah. co-worker's kid or whatever it is. Right, yeah. exactly. So, um, you know, Becky, to bring you back in, um, you write the story um, – Liz is the editor. What's the relationship between your writing and Liz's um, role? Well, um, especially when I was new at this, like last year, Liz was a great resource and would send me all the old stories that had been written. On that particular topic. Okay, right. Um, So, so, you know, the editor is part resource, part sounding board. If I'm thinking a story through, I can go in Liz's office and talk it over before I write it down. Um, And then as the editor, she, um, she edits. Mm. And what's that? So is that um, from a tactical writing point of view? Is it a content? Are you suggesting, oh, you need to feature this more than this in terms of Yeah, sometimes I'll go back with questions, certainly. Um, And especially if there's breaking news, we had this story, uh, one of Becky's first breaking stories was uh, uh, a, a renegade Boston whaler boat in Somme Sound last year. I don't know if you remember hearing about this, but we, we were working on it really fast. And then uh, I, as I went through, I kept going back to say, hey, ask the harbor master whether it was five minutes or ten minutes or ask whether there was a life jacket. So there, there is some of that. We'll have to go back and clarify. And sometimes she'll know the answer and sometimes she'll have to go back to mm. the source. Mm. Um, but can... a lot of it is getting that, uh, making sure in my estimation, and I'm sure I, I, I get this wrong sometimes too, to uh, make sure someone who doesn't know about the topic will be able to follow what we're, mm. what story we're trying to tell. And so that's, again, I'm, I'm saying there's a there's a reporting side of the paper, the news stories, and then there's the editorial. Both of you have had oh, your see. hand that's in, in, in that piece. Um, how, how different are those and how are those separate? Um, let's talk about how do you, how do you, choose what to write about it on the editorial page what's the how do you encourage readers to write in that's the editorial i see yeah Yeah. luckily it's like a lot of things we have uh it's one of the ways we're super super blessed we have all these great letter writers and the vast majority of the time i have lots of letters and i don't have to do much at all except to change some capitalization and and we have this wonderful opinion page because we have really engaged citizens uh Oh, let's how do you how do you decide what, what to editorialize yeah. about? So one of the we're not at um, we don't at the American do what uh, 
you said the predecessor at the Republican Journal did. No, it was somebody else. We don't we don't sign our editorials, mm-hmm. which means the editorials in our papers are, <laughs> in, in in Earl's words, Earl really likes one of these words. Um, the, the opinion of the newspaper as a sovereign entity. I don't, mm. I don't use the mm. S word quite mm. so often, but mm. but it's a cool. I mean, so it is. Kind of, there there is still an editorial board, um, and there are there are some of us. It's led at the moment by by me and Cindy Wood, um, and we do discuss and we do send back and forth, uh, and we do to make sure we're all we're all at least it's, the the opinion that we end up with in an editorial um, is not always exactly what each of us would say if we were speaking for ourselves, but it's something we're all we're all at least. So okay you, again, with. you feel like it's the paper's right, right. view, or the which is voice. why when somebody asks me who writes an editorial, I usually don't answer because I say it's it's the editorial board, and we and it, it, we do work on it together. It's the case that if it's a if there's an editorial about something specific to Mountain Island, which about a little more than a half, three fifths of our editorials are, I'll say it likely started at my desk. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to get Tom to yeah. comment briefly, and then I'll close with a question about the role of newspapers in democracy, so you can get ready. But Tom, you wrote editorials for a long time. What was that process like, briefly? I, I think the role of the editorial in the uh, in communities and among readers has changed a lot. Uh, I remember a guy when I was at the Republican Journal coming up to me, and I would do my city council endorsements, and he said to me. Um, uh, I rip out your editorial and I take it into the bell booth and I vote the opposite way on every one of them. And, I, I, you know, I think newspapers in the glory days, people would read them and vote accordingly. And now it, it just doesn't have that role. When I was at the Bangor Daily, I tried to write sort of like an essay, something yeah. that, you know, an insight into a topic. Maybe you haven't thought about it this way. Maybe come over to our side a little bit, be sort of um, conciliatory. Coaxing. Coaxing, yeah, that's a good word. Um, And just an interesting read more than anything. And I actually killed the editorial in the Working Waterfront and turned it into my personal column because it it felt awkward, um, sort of this is our view. So um, a closing comment about the role of newspapers in democracy, and we could have spent a whole hour on on just this. Liz, you've got um, some thoughts about that very briefly. Very briefly. So I think it really, we, the papers really do help move the conversation forward and not even necessarily one direction or another, but it's just as uh, Ron especially is very familiar, the wheels of government, especially local government can turn awfully slowly. So if all of us, the, the town officials, the, 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 the appointed staff, the professional staff and the elected folks, everybody has too much to do. So it might be many weeks before the phone call between the two town managers or the two selectmen in the two towns happens. And But I'm calling, if I call because I'm working on an editorial, it might happen a little faster. We've come to the end of an hour. It went very fast. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each morning for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please mail us, email us at news at weru.org. And tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle from Humane Sea Grant from 10 to, 4, to 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Thanks so much to our guests in the studio, Tom Groening, editor of the Working Waterfront News, Liz Graves, editor of the Mount Desert Islander, and Becky Pritchard, reporter for the Mount Desert Islander. Thanks to those of you who are listening. You couldn't call in today. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.
Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the League of Women Voters of Maine, serving the people of Maine, making democracy work. More at lwvme.org. Think about how often you listen to WERU, 10 or 15 times a week. Then think about how WERU fits into your budget. Typically, our budgets are a reflection of how we want to spend our time and the things that matter most. Five or ten dollars a month as a sustaining member is an affordable way to fit WERU into your budget and maintain the independence and financial health of this essential resource. And five or ten dollars a month is an easy way to help cover the cost of the hundreds of hours you listen to WERU throughout the year. Your support matters. Become a sustainer at WERU.org or call 207-469-6600 during weekday business hours. Thank you. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Ray Carboni Sculpture and Woodworking with wood, bronze, and stone sculptures at the gallery and workshop, 460 Pigeon Hill Road, Steuben, Maine. RayCarboniSculptor.com. Radio by and for the community. WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online live at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Blue Hill Fair, running August 29th through September 2nd and featuring Hotel California and Eagle.